Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 322. Today's big Bible question is, who does the Lord love and who does the Lord oppose? Well, happy Friday, friends. Our Bible readings today include First and Second Chronicles, Amos chapter 2, Psalm 146 and 147, and Hebrews chapter 8. We are going to begin today in First Chronicles and... Oh, wait. What in the world? What? What is, what is that? What is that noise? And the weather? Something? Good heavens. Oh, oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. I've just received a bulletin that the National Weather Service has issued a particularly dangerous situation mispronunciation of Hebrew names warning for today's podcast. This is not a watch and not a drill. It is confirmed that since there will be about 5,000 names in First and Second Chronicles that are hard to read, there will be mispronunciations of names all across the countywide viewing area. Listeners are advised to take cover, particularly cover your ears because it could get bad. Well, even though I have had several graduate classes in Hebrew and seminary, I know that I am not up for the task of properly pronouncing all of the names in these two chapters, so we will have them at the end of our readings today rather than the beginning. In order for some of you to take time to flee to your weather shelter, closet, or underground bunker, you have been warned. Well, a sobering question to think about today. Our two Psalms passages, which will be our focus for the day, are going to reveal much of the character of God to us. In particular, they will remind us about the kind of person that God cares for, supports, and rescues, and the kind of person that God opposes, frustrates, and ultimately destroys. We're going to learn today what doesn't impress God, and what sort of person that God values. And as we've mentioned before, God really isn't impressed with the kind of things that impresses most humans. We see this in a passage like Psalm 147, 10 and 11, where it says, He is not impressed by the strength of a horse. He does not value the power of a warrior. The Lord values those who fear him, those who put their hope in his faithful love. Now, this is simple but profound. The mighty heroes of the world, the chiseled football players, the great athletes, the incredibly honed actors and actresses, the ones that capture everybody's attention, these people don't impress God. He's no more impressed by the strength, charisma, power, wealth, beauty, and might of a particular human than you are impressed by our particularly impressive aunt. In our own strength and power, there's really nothing we can do that can impress God. But the Lord values and rescues those who fear him and put their hope in him. This is a big, significant truth and worthy of pondering. Another truth to rejoice in from today's readings. Even though God is vast and infinitely powerful, he uses his power on behalf of the weak and the helpless and his power against the oppressor and the wicked. So we see in Psalm 147, 5 and 6, Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord helps the oppressed, but brings the wicked to the ground. So let's go ahead and read our Psalms passage today, paying good attention to all that we can learn about the character of God. Psalm chapter 146, 
verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Hallelujah. My soul praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles, in a son of man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. Psalm 147, verse 1. Hallelujah, how good it is to sing to our God, for praise is pleasant and lovely. The Lord rebuilds Jerusalem. He gathers Israel's exiled people. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord helps the oppressed, but brings the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Play the lyre to our God, who covers the sky with clouds, prepares rain for the earth, and causes grass to grow on the hills. He provides the animals with their food, and the young ravens what they crave for, what they cry for. He is not impressed by the strength of a horse. He does not value the power of a warrior. The Lord values those who fear him, those who put their hope in his faithful love. Exalt the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your city gates and blesses your children within you. He endows your territory with prosperity. He satisfies you with the finest wheat. He sends his commands throughout the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He throws his hailstones like crumbs. Who can understand, who can withstand his cold? He sends his word and melts them. He unleashes his winds and the water flows. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and judgments to Israel. He has not done this for every nation. They do not know his judgments. Hallelujah. So I am particularly touched today by verses 6 through 9 of Psalm 146 which says he remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited, giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens or foreigners and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. This is such a great insight for us into the character of God. He's forever faithful. He executes justice on behalf of people who are being exploited. He takes care and takes note of the hungry, the blind, the oppressed, the people that are so often forgotten in society. God sees them and advocates for them. He protects foreigners and helps those who are orphans and widowed those literally unable to care for themselves. He frustrates the ways of the wicked also. Now, this whole section reminds me of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 25, 31-46, the first passage I ever preached on in Big Church. And what Jesus says there, we've read it before, worthy of hearing again, worthy of hearing every day, really. He says, 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left, and then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, or a stranger? Or without clothes, or sick, or in prison, and not help you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, I want to note here that Jesus is not a social justice warrior. He is not promoting socialism or anything political. He's revealing to us the Father's values and teaching his followers to engage in the kind of ministry that the Father would call us to do. Whatever we do for those who are the least in our society, we are doing his ministry directly to Jesus. It's one of the most profound truths in the Bible, and it transcends every political belief and every political party. This is what King Jesus calls us to do. As we just read a few days ago, In Psalm 138, 6, though the Lord is exalted, he takes note of the humble, but he knows the haughty from a distance. That's a powerful passage. God knows who the haughty and prideful are, but, you know, it's like they're so smelly and gross, he doesn't get near them, but he cares about and watches over the humble. Sometimes we humans, we're the very opposite of that, right? We want to take note of the prideful, the haughty, the self-important, the people who are, you know, considered important in our society and who have this supreme amount of prideful confidence in themselves. And basically, we want to know the humble and the lowly from a distance because they aren't popular or impressive or seemingly important. And yet God has opposite values as reflected in the character of Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says, take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. That's what God values lowly and humble of heart. That's who King Jesus modeled for us when he was here, lowly and humble in heart. That's who God is going to support. Now, of these two Psalms we read today, uh, particularly of the first one, Spurgeon writes, commenting verse by verse and says, quoting, God executes judgment for the oppressed. He is a swift and impartial administrator of justice. He's not a respecter of persons. He's the friend of the downtrodden, the champion of the hopeless who gives food to the hungry. 
All food comes from God, but when we are reduced to hunger and providence supplies our necessity, we are especially struck with that fact. Let every hungry person there lay hold on this statement and plead it before the mercy seat of God, whether he suffers bodily hunger or heart hunger. The Lord also looses the prisons or frees frees the prisoners. The Lord brought Israel from the house of bondage. Jesus is the emancipator, spiritually, providentially, and nationally. As faith in Jehovah becomes common, freedom will advance in every form, especially will mental, moral, and spiritual bonds be loosed, and the slaves of error, sin, and death will be set free. Well may the freed ones be the loudest in the song. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Jesus did this very frequently and hereby proved himself to be God. How often is the mental eye closed in moral night? And who can remove the dreary of this dreary effect of the fall but the Almighty God? This miracle of grace of opening the mind's eye that is blind, he has performed in numerous cases, and it is in each case a theme for the loftiest praise. The Lord also raises those that are bowed down. This Jesus did literally also. God consoles the bereaved, cheers the defeated, solaces the dependent, comforts the despairing. I'm sorry, solaces the despondent, comforts the despairing. Let those who are bowed to the ground appeal to him, and he will speedily upraise him. The Lord loves the righteous. He gives to them the love of content, communion, and reward. Loved ones, you must never pause from his praise, whose infinite love has made you what you are. The Lord preserves the strangers and foreigners. Many kings hunted aliens or foreigners down or transported them from place to place or left them as outlaws unworthy of human rights. But Jehovah God made special laws for their shelter within his domain, says Spurgeon. He relieves the fatherless and widow. These people excite the compassion of the Lord and he shows it in a practical way by upraising them from their forlorn condition. The Mosaic Law made provision for these destitute persons, but the way of the wicked he turns upside down. The wicked man's way is in itself a turning of things upside down, and the Lord makes it so to him providentially. Thing, everything goes wrong with him who does and goes wrong, says Spurgeon. Good words and wise words. And so today... Not so much one big point or one big answer to the the question, but consider the character and nature of God. Consider who God looks well upon. Consider who God loves and helps. And then consider who God opposes. And then let us think about who we lionize, who we idolize, who we look up to. Is it the lowly, the humble, the foreigner, the stranger? The weak, the oppressed, or is it other people? If our, the people that we look up to, and the people that we value in particular, are different than the people who God values, well, maybe we should consider that and let the character of God flood over our soul as we continue reading in the Psalms and learn more and more about God's character. I hope that's impressed upon your hearts, my friends. We will continue... In Amos chapter 2, saving our Chronicles passages for the end. Amos chapter 2, verse 1, the Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Moab, 
For three crimes, even four, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. Therefore I will send fire against Moab, and it will consume the citadels of Kerioth. Moab will die with a tumult, with shouting and the sound of the ram's horn. I will cut off the judge from the land and kill all its officials with him. The Lord has spoken. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Judah for three crimes, even four, because they have rejected the instruction of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. The lies that their ancestors followed have led them astray. Therefore, I will send fire against Judah, and it will consume the citadels of Jerusalem. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Israel for three crimes, even four, because they sell a righteous person for silver and a needy person for a pair of sandals. They trample the heads of the poor on the dust of the ground, and they obstruct the path of the needy. A man and his father have sexual relations with the same girl, profaning my holy name. They stretch out beside every altar on garments taken as collateral. In the house of God, they drink wine obtained through fines. Yet I destroyed the Amorite as Israel advanced. His height was like the cedars, and he was as sturdy as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath, and I brought you from the land of Egypt and led you forty years in the wilderness in order to possess the land of the Amorite. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is this not the case, Israelites? This is the Lord's declaration. But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets do not prophesy. Look, I am about to crush you in your place as a wagon crushes when full of grain. Escape will fail the swift, the strong one will not maintain his strength, and the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground, the one who is swift of foot will not save himself, and the one riding a horse will not save his life. Even the most courageous of the warriors will flee naked on that day. This is the Lord's declaration. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1. Now the main point of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens a minister of the sanctuary in the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest since there are those offering the gifts prescribed by the law. These serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle. For God said, Be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant which has been established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second one. But, finding fault with his people, he says, See, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. I showed no concern for them, says the Lord, because they did not continue in my covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And each person will not teach his fellow citizen and each his brother or sister saying, Know the Lord because they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them, for I will forgive their wrongdoing, and I will never again remember their sins. By saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is obsolete, and what is obsolete and growing old is about to pass away. And here we go. First Chronicles 1 and 2. Let me buckle myself in. 
<sighs> Loosen my tongue a little bit. Get ready. Whew. It's going to be daunting, but we can get through this. First Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Japheth's sons, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras, Gomer's sons, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarmah, Javan's sons, Elisha, Tarshish, Ketim, and Rodanim, Ham's sons, Cush, Mitzraim, Put, and Canaan, Cush's sons, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabteca, Rama's sons, Sheba and Dedan, Cush fathered Nimrod, who was the first to become a great warrior on earth. Mitzraim fathered the people of Lud, Anam, Lehab, Napta, Pathras, Kazla, the Philistines came from them, and Kaftor, Canaan fathered Sidon as his firstborn, and Haith, as well as the Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvidites, Zimorites, and Hamathites. Shem's sons, Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Meshech. Arphaxad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One of them was named Peleg because the earth was divided during his lifetime, and the name of his brother was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almadad, Shelef, Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hadorim, Uzal, Dikla, Ebal, Abimiel, Sheba, Ophir, Havila, and Jobab. All of these were Joktan's sons. Shem, Ham, Shem, Arphaxad, Shelah, Eber, Peleg, Reu, Serug, Nahor, Terah, and Abram, that is Abraham. Abraham's sons, Isaac and Ishmael, these are their family records. Nebaloth, Ishmael's firstborn, Kedar, Adbeel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massah, Hadad, Tima, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedema. These were Ishmael's sons, the sons born to Keturah, Abraham's concubine, Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan's sons, Sheba and Dedan. Midian's sons, Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Elda. All of these were Keturah's descendants. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac's sons, Esau and Israel. Israel's sons, Eliphaz, Reuel, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. Eliphaz's sons, Teman, Omar, Zephi, Getam, and Kenaz, and by Timna, Amalek. Reuel's sons, Nahath, Zerah, Shema and Mitzah, Seir's sons, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Anah, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. Lotan's sons, Hori and Homan, Timnah was Lotan's sister. Shobal's sons, Alan, Manaheth, Ebal, Shephi, and Onim. Zibion's sons, Allah and Anah. Anah's son, Dishan. Dishan's son, Hamran, Eshben, Ithran, and Charon. Ezer's sons, Bilhan, Zavan, and Jakan. Dishan's sons, Uz and Aran. These were the kings who reigned in, the, reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. Bala, son of Beor. Bala's town was named Din-Habah. 
When Balaam died, Jobab, son of Zerah from Basra, reigned in his place. When Jobab died, Husham from the land of the Temanites reigned in his place. When Husham died, Hadad, son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the territory of Moab, reigned in his place. Hadad's town was named Avith. When Hadad died, Samla from Mazrekah reigned in his place. When Samla died, Shal from Rehoboth on the Euphrates River reigned in his place. When Shal died, Baal-Hanan, son of Akbor, reigned in his place. When Baal-Hanan died, Hadad reigned in his place. Hadad's city was named Pi, and his wife's name was Mehetabel, daughter of Metred, daughter of Mizahab. Then Hadad died. Edom's chiefs, Timnah, Alva, Jatheth, Aholibama, Elah, Pinon, Kenaz, Teman, Mibzar, Magdalel, and Iram. These were Edom's chiefs. Chapter 2. We're halfway through. These were Israel's sons. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Judah's sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. These were the three born to him by Bathsheba, the Canaanite woman. Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the Lord's sight, so he put him to death. Judah's daughter-in-law, Tamar, bore Perez and Zerah to him. Judah had five sons in all. Perez's sons, Herzron and Hamul. Zerah's sons, Zimri, Ethan, Heman, Kalkal, and Dara, five in all. Carmi's sons, Ekar, who brought trouble on Israel when he was unfaithful by taking the things apart for destruction. Ethan's son, Azariah. Hezron's son, sons who were born to him, Jeremiel, Ram, and Chulabai. Ram fathered Amenadab, and Amenadab fathered Nashan, a leader of Judah's descendants. Nashan fathered Salma, and Salma fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered Eliab, his firstborn. Abinadab was born second. Shemiah third. Nathanael fourth. Radal, fifth, Ozim, sixth, and David, seventh. Their sisters were Zerulah and Abigail, Zariah, Zariah's three sons, Abishai, Joab, and Ashahel. Amasa's mother was Abigail, and his father was Jether the Ishmaelite. Caleb, son of Hezron, had children by his wife Azubah and by Jerioth. These were Azubah's sons, Jeshur, Shobab, and Ardan. When Azubah died, Caleb married Ephrath, and she bore her to him. Her fathered Uri, and Uri fathered Bezalel. After this, Hezron slept with the daughter of Machir, the father of Gilead. Hezron had married her when he was sixty years old, and she bore Segub to him. Segub fathered Jali, who possessed twenty-three towns in the land of Gilead. But Geshur and Aram captured Jair's villages with, along with Kenath and its surrounding villages, 60 towns. All these were the descendants of Machir, father of Gilead. After Hezron's death in Caleb Ephrathoth, his wife Abijah bore Ashler to him. He was the father of Tekoa. The sons of Jeremiel, Hezron's firstborn, Ram, his firstborn, Buna, Oren, Ozim, and Ahijah. Jeremiel had another wife named Atara, who was the mother of Onam. The sons of Ram, Jeremiel's firstborn, Maaz, Jamin, and Eker. Onam's sons, Shammai and Jada. Shammai's sons, Nadab and Abishur. Abishur's wife was named Abahel, who bore Aban and Moled to him. Nadab's sons, Selid and Epaim. Selid died without children. Epaim's sons, Ishi. Ishi's son, Shishan. 
Shishan's descendant, Ahael. The sons of Jada, brother of Shammai, Jether and Jonathan. Jether died without children. Jonathan's sons, Peleth and Zaza, these were the descendants of Jeremiel. Shishan had no sons, only daughters, but he did have an Egyptian servant whose name was Jarha. Shishan gave his daughter in marriage to his servant Jarha, and she bore a tie to him. A tie fathered Natan, and Natan fathered Zabad. Zabad fathered Ephlau, and Iphiel fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jehu, and Jehu fathered Azariah. Azariah fathered Helez, and Helez fathered Elisah. Elisah fathered Sismai, and Sismai fathered Shalom. Shalom fathered Jechemiah, and Jechemiah fathered Elishamah, the sons of Caleb, brother of Jeremiel. Misha, his firstborn, fathered Ziph, and Merishah, his second son, fathered Hebron. Hebron's sons, Korah, Tapua, Rakim, and Shema. Shema fathered Raham, who fathered Jorkim, and Rakim fathered Shemai. Shemai's son was Maon, and Maon fathered Beth Zur. Caleb's concubine Ephah was the mother of Haran, Moza, and Geziz. Haran fathered Geziz. Jachdi's sons, Regim, Jotham, Gishan, Pelet, Ephah, and Sha'af. Caleb's concubine Makah was the mother of Sheber and Terhana. She was also the mother of Sha'af, Madmanah's father, and of Sheva, the father of Machbina and Gibeah. Caleb's daughter was Aksha. These were Caleb's descendants, the sons of Ur, of Hur, Ephrathah's firstborn, Shobal fathered Kiriath Jerem, Salma fathered Bethlehem, and Haraf fathered Beth Gadar. These were the descendants of Shobal, the father of Kiriath Jerem, Herohah, half of the Manahathites, and the families of Kiriath Jerem, the Ithrites, Puthites, Shumathites, and the Mishrites. The Zorathites and Eshtelites descended from these. Salma's descendants, Bethlehem, the Netophathites, Atroth-Beth, Joab, and half of the Manahathites, the Zorites, and the families of the scribes who lived in Jebaz, the Terathites, Shimeathites, and the Sukathites. These are the Kenites who came from Hanamath, the father of Rechab's family. Amen. I'm not sure my tongue will ever be the same after that. Well, friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he shine his light on you. May he restore your soul and cover you in his joy and his peace. Good day to you and Godspeed.